Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 185 to 231. The creeds. Whoever says, I believe, says, I pledge myself to what we believe. Communion in faith needs com- common language of faith, normative for all and uniting all in the same confession of faith. From the beginning, the apostolic church expressed and handed on her faith in brief formulae for all. But already early on, the church also wanted to gather the essential elements of its faith into organic and articulated summaries, intended especially for candidates for baptism. This synthesis of faith was not made to accord with human opinions, but rather what was of greatest importance was gathered from all of the scriptures to present the one teaching of the faith in its entirety. Just as the mustard seed contains a great number of branches in a tiny grain, so too this summary of faith encompassed in a few words the whole knowledge of the true religion contained in the Old and New Testaments. Such syntheses are called professions of faith since they summarize the faith that Christians profess. They are called creeds on account of what is usually their first word in Latin, credo, I believe. They are also called symbols of faith. The Greek word symbolon meant half of a broken object. For example, a seal presented as a token of recognition. The broken parts were placed together to verify the bearer's identity. The symbol of faith, then, is a sign of recognition and communion between believers. Symbolon also means a gathering, collection, or summary. A symbol of faith is a summary of the principal truths of the faith and therefore serves as the first and fundamental point of reference for catechesis. The first profession of faith is made during baptism. Since the symbol, the symbol of faith is first and foremost a bapt, the baptismal creed, since baptism is given in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the truths of faith professed in baptism are articulated in terms of their reference to the three persons of the Holy Trinity. And so the creed is divided into three parts. The first part speaks of the divine, first divine person and the wonderful work of creation. The next speaks of the second divine person and the mystery of his redemption. The final part speaks of the third divine person, the origin and source of our sanctification. These are the three chapters of our baptismal seal. These three parts are distinct although connected with one another. According to a comparison often used by the fathers, we call them articles. Indeed, just as in our bodily members, there are certain articulations which distinguish and separate them, so too in this profession of faith, the name articles has justly and rightly been given to truths that we must believe particularly and distinctly. In accordance with the ancient tradition, Already attested by, to by St. Ambrose, it is customary to reckon the articles of the creed as twelve, thus symbolizing the fullness of the apostolic faith by the number of the apostles. Through the centuries, many professions or symbols of faith have been articulated in response to the needs of different, church, different eras, the creeds of the different apostolic and ancient churches. Exemplum gratiam, the Kikumque also called the Athanasian Creed, the professions of faith to certain councils, such as Toledo, Lateran, Leon, Trent, or symbols of certain popes, Exemplum Gratium, the Fides Damasia, or the Credo of the People of God of Paul VI. None of the creeds from the different stages in the Church's life can be considered superseded or irrelevant. They help us to attain and deepen the faith of all times by means of the different summaries made of it.
among all creeds to occupy a special place in the church's life. The Apostles' Creed is so called because it is rightly considered to be a a faithful summary of the Apostles' faith. It is the ancient baptismal symbol of the Church of Rome. Its great authority rises from from this fact. The Creed of the Roman Church, the See of Peter, the first of the Apostles to which he brought the common faith. The Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, or Nicene Creed, draws great authority from the fact that it stems from the first two ecumenical councils in 325 and 381. It remains common to all the great churches of both the East and the West to this day. Our presentation of the faith will follow the Apostles' Creed, which constitutes, as it were, the oldest Roman catechism. The presentation will be completed, however, by constant references to the Nicene Creed, which is often more explicit and more detailed. As on the day of our baptism, when our whole life was entrusted to the standard teaching, to the standard of teaching, let us embrace the creed with our life-giving faith. To say the credo with faith is to enter into communion with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and also with the whole church, which transmits the faith to us, and in whose midst we believe. This creed is the spiritual seal, our heart's meditation, and an ever-present guardian it is, unquestionably, the treasure of our soul. I believe in God the Father. Our profession of faith begins with God, for God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end of everything. The credo begins with God the Father, for the Father is the first divine person of the most holy trinity. Our creed begins with the creation of heaven and earth. For the creation of heaven and earth is the foundation of all for creation is the beginning and foundation of all God's works. I believe in God. I believe in God. This affirmation of the Apostles' Creed is also the most fundamental. The whole creed speaks of God when it also speaks of man and the world. It does so in relation to God. The other articles of the creed all depend on the first, just as the remaining commandments make the first explicit. The other articles help us to know God better as he revealed himself progressively to men. The faithful first profess their belief in God. I believe in one God. These are the words which the Niceo-Constantinopolitan Creed begins. The confession of God's oneness, which has its roots in divine revelation of the Old Covenant, is inseparable from the profession of God's existence and is equally fundamental. God is unique. There is only one God. The Christian faith confesses that God is one in nature, substance, and essence. To Israel, his chosen, God revealed himself as the only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord, our God, is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Through the prophets, God calls Israel and all nations to turn to him. The one and only God, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. Jesus himself affirms that God is the one Lord, whom whom you must love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. At the same time, Jesus gives gives us to understand that he himself is the Lord, to confess that Jesus is Lord is distinctive of the Christian faith. This is not contrary to belief in the one God, 
nor does believing in the Holy Spirit as Lord, the giver of life, introduce any division into one God. The Lateran Council says, We firmly believe and confess without reservation that there is only one true God, eternal, infinite, and unchangeable, incomprehensible, almighty, and ineffable. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three persons indeed, but one in essence, substance, or nature, entirely simple. God reveals his name. God revealed himself to his people Israel by making his name known to them. A name expresses a person's essence and identity and the meaning of this person's life. God has a name. He is not an anonymous force. To disclose one's name is to make oneself known to others. In a way, it is to hand oneself over by becoming accessible, capable of being known more intimately and addressed personally. God revealed himself progressively and under different names to his people. But the revelation that proved to be be the fundamental one for both the Old and the New Covenants was the revelation of the divine name to Moses in the theophany of the burning bush on the threshold of the Exodus and and of the covenant on Sinai. God calls Moses from the midst of a bush that burns without being consumed. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is the God of the fathers, the one who had called and guided the patriarchs in their wanderings. He is the faithful and compassionate God who remembers them and pro- he remembers them and his promises. He comes to free their descendants from slavery. He is the God who from beyond space and time can do this and wills to do it. The God who will put his almighty power to work for this plan. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In revealing his mysterious name, Yahweh, I am who is, I am who am, or I am who I am, God says who he is, and by what name he is to be called. This divine name is mysterious, just as God is a mystery. It is at once a name revealed and something like a refusal of a name. And hence it is better it better expresses God as what he is, infinitely above everything that we can understand or say. He is the hidden God. His name is ineffable. ineffable. He is God who makes himself close to man. By revealing his name, God at the same time reveals his faithfulness, which is from everlasting to everlasting. Valid for the past, I am the God of your fathers. For the future, I will be with you. God who reveals his name as I am, reveals himself as the same God who is always there, present to every, present to his people in order to save them. Faced with God's fascinating and mysterious presence, man discovers his own insignificance. Before the burning bush, Moses takes off his sandals and veils his face in the presence of God's holiness. Before the glory of the thrice holy God, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Before the divine signs wrought by Jesus, Peter exclaims, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But because God is holy, he can forgive man when he realizes he is a sinner before him. I will not execute my fierce anger, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. The Apostle John says likewise, We shall reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. 
Out of respect for the holiness of God, the people of Israel do not pronounce his name. In the reading of sacred scripture, the revealed name YHWH is replaced uh, is replaced by the divine title Lord in Hebrew Adonai, in Greek Kairos. It is under this title that the divinity of Jesus will be acclaimed Jesus is Lord. After Israel's sin, when the people had turned away from God to worship the golden calf, God hears Moses' prayer of intercession and agrees to walk in the midst of an unfaithful people, thus demonstrating his love. When Moses asks to see his glory, God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord's the Lord. Then the Lord passes before Moses and proclaims, Yahweh, Yahweh, a merciful and gracious, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses then confesses that God is a forgiving, the Lord is a forgiving God. The divine name I am or he is expresses God's faithfulness. Despite the faithlessness of man's sin and the punishment it deserves, he keeps steadfast love for thousands. By going so far as to give up his own son for us, God reveals that he is rich in mercy. By giving his life to free us from sin, Jesus reveals that he himself bears the divine name. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. Over the centuries, Israel's faith is, was able to manifest and deepen the realization of the riches contained in the revelation of the divine name. God is unique. There are no other gods beside him. He transcends the world in history. He made heaven and earth. They will perish, but you wonder. They will all wear out like a garment, but you are the same. Your years have no end. In God, there is no variation in sh or shadow due to change. God is, he is who is, from everlasting to everlasting, and as such remains ever faithful to himself and his promises. The revelation of the ineffable name, I am who am, contains the truth that God alone is, the Greek Septuagint translation of the Hebrew scriptures, and following it in the church's tradition, understood the divine name in this sense. God is the fullness of being and of every perfection, without origin and without end. All creatures receive all that they are, and have from him, he, but he alone is his very being. He is of himself everything that he is. God, he is who is, revealed himself to Israel as one abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These two teams, terms expressed similar, similarly in the, the riches of the divine name. In all his works, God displays not only his kindness, goodness, grace, and steadfast love, but also his trustworthiness, constancy, faithfulness, and truth. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He is the truth, for God is light, and in him there is no darkness. God is love, as the Apostle John teaches. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. And now, O Lord our God, you are God, and your words are true. This is why God's promises always come true. God is truth itself, whose words cannot deceive. This is why one cannot abandon oneself in full trust to the truth and faithfulness of his word in all things. Sorry, this is why one can abandon oneself in full trust to the truth and faithfulness of his word in all things. The beginning of sin and of man's fall was due to the lie of the tempter who induced the, word, the doubt of God's word, kindness, and faithfulness. God's truth is his wisdom, which commands the whole created order and governs the world. God, who alone made heaven and earth, can alone insert, impart true knowledge of every created thing in relation to himself.
God is also truthful when he reveals himself. The teaching that comes from God is true instruction. When he sends his son into the world, it will be to bear witness to the truth. We know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding to know the tr- know him who is love, who is true. In the course of its history, Israel was able to discover that God had only one reason to reveal himself to them, a single motive for choosing them from among all peoples as his special possession, his sheer gratuitous love. And thanks to the prophets, Israel understood that it was again out of love that God never stopped saving saving them and pardoning them their unfaithfulness and sins. God's love for Israel is compared to a father's love for his son. His love for his people is stronger than a mother's for her children. God loves his people more than a bridegroom for his beloved. His love, his love will be victorious over even the worst of infidelities and will extend to his most precious gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love is everlasting. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Through Jeremiah, God declares to his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. But St. John goes even further when he affirms that God is love. God's very being is love. By sending his only Son and the Spirit of love in the fullness of time, God has revealed his innermost secret. God himself is an external exchange of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he has destined us to share in that exchange. The implications of faith in one God. Believing in one, in God, only one, and loving him with all our being has enormous consequences for our whole life. It means coming to know God's greatness and majesty. Behold, God is great. We know him not. Therefore, we must serve God first. It means living in thanksgiving. If God is the only one, everything we are and we have comes from him. What have you that you did not receive? What shall I render to the Lord for all his bounty to me? It means knowing the unity and true dignity of all men. Everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. It means making good use of created things. Faith in God, the only one, leads us to use everything that is not God, only insofar as it brings us closer to him and to detach ourselves from it insofar as it turns us away from him. My Lord and my God, take from me everything that distances me from you. My Lord and my God, give me everything that brings me closer to you. My Lord and my God, detach me from myself and give my all to you. That's from St. Nicholas of Flu. It means trusting God in every circumstance, even in adversity. A prayer of St. Teresa of Jesus wonderfully expresses this trust. Let nothing trouble you. Let nothing frighten you. Everything passes. God never changes. Patience obtains all. Whoever has God wants for nothing. God alone is enough. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one Lord. The supreme being must be unique without equal. If God is not one, he is not God. Faith in God leads us to turn to him alone as our first origin and our ultimate goal, and neither to prefer anything to him nor to substitute anything for him. Even when he reveals himself, God remains a mystery beyond human words. If you understood him, it would not be God. The God of our faith has revealed himself as he who is. He has made himself known as abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's very being is truth and love.